Now God spoke to Abraham, Go, leave your country. Wait, wait, hold up, hold up. What do you mean God spoke? And what's hearing from God supposed to be like anyway? We are now finally exploring the question we began this series with. Last episode, we examined the first part of that question, which was, what does it mean to say that God speaks? And for Christianity, God speaks in every truth. Every truth is God speaking. But that only prepares the ground for the question that interests most of us, one raised in the example that I presented in the trailer when God speaks to people like he did with Abraham. What does it mean to say that God speaks to us? Because there is a difference between God speaking and God speaking to you. Welcome to What Do You Mean God Speaks, where we explore important stories, ideas, and insights in Christianity for the skeptics who want to understand religious perspectives, to the Christians who have questions about their own beliefs, and everyone in between. I'm Paul Sungojung, and this is our 10th episode, What Do You Mean God Speaks? Part 2, When God Speaks to You and Speaks Beyond Your Expectations. It's vitally important to understand that the Christian idea of God who speaks is much broader than the popular imagination of some special individuals receiving a divine message or vision. For Christianity, every truth is God speaking, every truth along with everything good and beautiful in truth. So whatever truth that you hold, if it really is true, is what God has spoken. And so discovering a truth is the same as hearing God speak. Yet knowing a truth, and so hearing God speak, is not the same as having God speak to you. We can compare this point to the example of other people speaking to us. You may listen to someone speak, say in a talk or a podcast, but they are not speaking to you. What they speak about may be true, but they are not speaking to you personally. Now, you may have found some talks which really spoke to you, But what you mean by that is that these talks were very meaningful or relevant in your life. The speaker was addressing people like you, people with similar questions and concerns, struggling with the same challenges and circumstances. But even here, these speakers were not speaking to you in the fullest sense, in that there were no personal interactions. They spoke, but you did not have a conversation. You haven't spoken back to them, and they wouldn't have replied even if you had. According to Christianity, though, God speaks, and God speaks to people. Now this series began by pointing out that the Christian idea of God is not about some powerful entity out there somewhere in reality. Rather, God is reality. Reality as a whole, immediate, imminent, and infinite. But for Christians, reality is who, not a what. And the reason why reality is who is because reality can speak to people. And this is the point where those who believe in God and those who don't truly part ways. The real reason why one side calls reality God and the other side does not. Christians believe that God speaks to us and we can respond and God will respond back. They believe that this is what happened in the key events told throughout the Bible, where God speaks to Abraham, to Moses, to the prophets, to the apostles and the saints. But what really happened in these instances when God supposedly spoke to people? 
Now, we are not Abraham or Moses, so we can only put forth our best estimation here of what it would have been like to experience God speaking to you. And with that, we can begin to think about why Christians have come to believe that reality is who that speaks to his people. Let's begin from where we ended last episode. If every truth, along with everything that is good and beautiful in truth, is God speaking, then the person who consistently takes hold of truth and reveals it manifests the person of God who speaks, at least in that particular context and in a limited way. The idea here is that the truth is best represented not in a statement, but in a person. And we are keenly interested in such persons, who they are, and more importantly, what makes them so wise, insightful, and inspiring, enabling them to bring forth truth, to do good, and to make life meaningful. We tell stories about such people, we repeat their quotes, and perhaps too often idealize them into figures that are beyond who they were in real life. But it isn't only other persons, those exceptional individuals, who can manifest God who speaks. We have the potential to be one too, because within each of us, there is another us. To be precise, there are many another us, many voices that speak in the arena of our minds. And no, I don't mean hearing voices or people that aren't there. What I mean is that whenever we are faced with decisions, whether large life-changing ones or small insignificant ones that we forget as soon as we decide, there's a debate inside of us. We are almost always being pulled in multiple directions because there are many sides of us that are competing against one another regarding our decisions. You have that work that you need to finish by tomorrow. But there's a part of you that says, let's just go out and do it in the evening and everything will still somehow work out. Another part of you that says, that's not true. We need to complete the job now. While yet another that says, can we just put off that work for another day? Then perhaps another one that asks whether your current job itself is really the one you ought to be holding on to. But which voice should you listen to? Because the voice that you listen is the voice that will direct your past, shape who you become, and change the world around you. And you want to listen to the voice that's telling the truth, one that's not making a mistake or lying to you. And these different positions in your mind often compete on truly important life-changing things. Should you quit your job or school and pursue your passion, say, making a film? But then you have that other voice that says your naive idealism is leading you to lose your financial security and stability for something you will likely fail in. Then you have that other voice that asks quietly whether your desire to quit your job for your passion is truly because you believe in that project or because you want to run away from your current responsibilities. And some significant voices are more or less consistent across time. They represent a definite personality. That aggressive, angry one that tells you to hit back harder than you were hit. That ponderous one that firmly suggests that you wait until you have more information. That hedonistic one that tells you to live it up and ignore the consequences. That nervous one that keeps on telling you why the risk is not worth it. That dark, spiteful one that seemed to want to curse at everything and everyone around you. That protective voice that asks whether your loved ones or family will be affected. Now, we may call these voices as representations of different values that we hold or different motivations or impulses. 
but values and motivations are abstract. Psychologically, we rarely experience these as dry statements of values. We encounter them, rather, as personalities that pose feelings or attitudes or thoughts, personalities that we would manifest when we follow their voice. And only afterward do we articulate that experience into abstract statements or principles like aggression or knowledge or hedonism or caution or others. And the personalities do not suggest, they demand. They may not demand with actual words, it may be a sentiment or pure impulse or feeling, but they are there, standing in your psychic space, posing a possible way of living, a way to be for you to follow and conform. But of course, we believe that each of these voices is still just a part of us. And they are us, in a sense that spatially speaking, they occupy the same space, our brain. And for us, everything that goes on inside our minds is simply part of ourselves, nothing more. Or so we think. Because this way of thinking and experiencing things is rather recent construction in human history, and even more of largely modern Western sensibility. We believe nowadays that we are essentially enclosed selves. That is, our mind, our thoughts, our feelings are our own, buffered and closed off from the outside. What is, quote, inside our mind is sharply distinguished from what is outside, supposedly in the world. What is outside is not us, whereas we have complete ownership of whatever that is inside us, whether it's our thoughts or feelings or values or meanings we imbue our experiences. This view did take a blow at the beginning of the 20th century when we discovered that much of what goes in our mind, much of our reasoning, desires, and motivations are in fact unconscious. But even then, we believe that what's inside of us are still just us, even if unconscious part of us. So that bright light that we see, perhaps from the fireworks from a local festival, or a fiery meteor streaking overhead, is what happened outside. But if immediately after seeing that light, you were to have a vision that, say, compels us to move into that town and start a new life in that community, that's what happened on the inside. The fireworks or meteor is not you, while the vision that makes you take up residence in a new town is purely and solely you. This is contrasted with the notion of the self that is older, held by humanity for far longer, and even now much more widespread culturally, which is that of an open self, a porous self, where your inside is open to what is outside. The sudden inspiration that you had in composing that music or a poem is you, but also the goddess of inspiration. The dream that you had of a shining figure telling you to go save your country from invaders is a dream that you had, but also a divine message that you received. The voices inside the arena of your mind that demand you to listen are you, but also more than you, especially if what they have to say are particularly compelling or meaningful. They are emissaries of something beyond you. Now, how we went from this porous open self to the enclosed bounded self, and what influences and idiosyncrasies of Western modernity went into it, are described extensively by contemporary philosophers like Charles Taylor, so you can check out his work if you're curious. But for this episode, I'm simply saying that the notion of the self that we hold, which assumes that all the voices that speak in our minds are purely the product of our own minds, are neither universal nor even logically ironclad. Saying that these are stuff that our mind makes up because they arise from the processes in our brain 
is not an answer either, since technically every experience we have are the processes in the brain. That includes you hearing this podcast episode, which is actually the firing of your auditory neurons in your brain, which then fire the neurons that deal with the language comprehension. And in one important sense, these voices are indeed emissaries of something beyond you because certain voices and personalities that these voices represent are not limited to your mind. They appear to other people too, across time, cultures, and societies, and they have moved people and shaped histories. In that, these voices are functionally speaking gods. In those rare occasions when they impose powerfully upon you, perhaps in a particularly gripping dream or a psychological episode, they are like gods and you are having something like a religious experience. They are certainly forces and what you are experiencing is your personal version of those forces playing out in your mind, presumably as the brain fires the relevant neural pathways. It's in fact interesting that according to psychological studies, there are kinds of preset neural pathways that we are born with associated with such religious experiences. So these voices may be speaking inside your mind, but they also speak from beyond you inside many other people's minds. An analogy here, and always be mindful of the limit of analogies, is a type of software, an app, that you download and runs locally in your computer hardware, but connects you to a larger network of other computers running the same app. Your computer runs the software, but the same software is running on others too, so that your computer and others are participating in a larger program. The app is both inside your computer, but also outside, beyond it. But does all this mean that these voices are really from some active entities out in the world? Or are they still just some psychological feature that many human beings and cultures share? Now, Christianity is actually ambivalent on whether they are actual entities independent of our mind. They may be from our minds only, and if so, we've made them into idols. Or they may be active agents in reality, and if so, they are not what Christians would acknowledge as God anyway, because they are not the divine ground or reality as a whole. They are merely what Christians call powers and principalities, which are part of creation like us, part of the story of reality that the Creator is speaking forth. And some may be good and follow God, and some may be not. And Christianity is ambivalent on all this because this is not the question that it is most concerned with. The real question for Christianity, and I would say for most major religious and philosophical traditions around the world, is which voice should we listen to? Because each voice, each personality, each emissary also represents a particular way we may relate to reality. Should we live and act as if our world is characterized by war, chaos, and contests of brute strength? Should we relate to it primarily as a place to gather and hoard data? Should we relate to it mainly as a place to find and revel in pleasure? Which way or relating to reality should we follow and how far? And when, if ever, should we follow some other way? Because the way we live embodies what we believe reality is. And the question that Christianity poses is, which voice, if followed, would enable us to relate to reality as a whole in the best way, and so embody what, or rather who, reality truly is? That is, which voice speaks what is true, and not just true in one way, 
but true in every way. That is, in every way that we as limited beings that we are can manage as we are now. Which voice brings us to truthful, meaningful life? Changing us for the good, bringing forth a better world, not only in some occasions, but in every occasion, every time we listen. Because that voice of truth is the voice of God speaking to us. God is reality, and so every truth is God speaking. If so, a person that brings forth truth manifests God. The idea here is that it is a person that best reflects all of reality. We may encounter that person as some other individual, but we may also encounter that person as one of the voices of personality that is speaking within us. And we can have a conversation with that voice, or rather we may engage with a voice that may be the voice of God with a capital G, the voice that speaks truth all the time rather than sometimes. But we do not know whether it is indeed the voice of God, and that is why we need to first engage that voice. And when we do so, it often becomes a conversation. That is, what we often experience is that this voice speaks or thinks in a way that is typically not us. Likely, all of us had experiences of particularly powerful or surprising thought that suddenly came to us. It struck us seemingly from nowhere, which changed our perceptions or attitudes, hopefully for the better. Which is an odd thing, really, if you assume that we have full ownership of everything that goes in our mind. How does our own thoughts surprise us or come to us? Of course, we can say that such thoughts emerge from our unconscious, but all that says is that the thought appeared inside our mind and presumably our neural circuitry went live when it did so. Again, same can be said of what happens when you hear this podcast. My words appear in your mind through your auditory neurons firing. What does happen though is that a thought comes from beyond what we normally experience as us as something like a message posed to us by one of the voices which seem to be emissaries of personalities that appear not just to us but to many people across times and cultures. And that voice may tell you, as it did with Abraham, to move out from the safe, comfortable place that you live and out into the unknown. That you must, because the life that you must lead, one that will bring forth meaning and transform you and your world for the better, cannot be had here. And the question is, which voice is this? Is this the voice of God? That is, the voice of truth? And sometimes, you immediately know that the voice is telling you the truth, because deep in your heart, you have known what the truth was, but have been trying to ignore it. You may have been filled with resentment against your brother, which you know is both unfair and petty. The voice speaks up and asks whether you are truly right to be resentful. You may list excuses to justify yourself, but that voice inside you calmly replies saying, you know that none of that's true. It points out that you were the one who was unfair to him, and that you ought to go and reconcile and change your ways. It may even say that if you keep on this course, you will regret it. You will become what you will despise. Perhaps you will listen. Perhaps you will ignore the voice and ignore it every time it speaks up until it speaks up no more, until the thoughts that correct you no longer comes to you. That's what happened to Cain before he murdered Abel, after all. And sometimes the voice may reveal truth to you that you cannot have known. 
That voice may have spoken as you are gazing at a strange sight of a bush that is alight yet somehow does not burn. The sight was reminding you of your people because they were in slavery in a distant land, suffering as if set on fire, but enduring it and refusing to burn away. Again, it may be that the burning bush may actually be a physical thing in the outside world, a bush set alight by phosphorus perhaps, while the voice might be speaking somewhere inside you. But that distinction of inside or outside is irrelevant here. What is relevant is that the voice speaks. It poses a thought or a command. It tells you that your people will be freed and that you are to go to the most powerful ruler of your world, the one who holds your people in slavery, and tell him to free your people. And you can respond, I can't. There's no way anyone, let alone a ruler, will listen to me. Yet the voice is persistent. It may counter your objection, telling you to go because the source of this voice will cause whatever that needs to happen to free your people to happen. The voice is addressing you, and you engaged it. It spoke, and you responded, and it replied. Whatever it is, it speaks to you, and whether this is a mental conversation or physically audible one, again, is irrelevant. What is relevant is the question, is this voice true? That is, is this voice that you are engaging, the voice that brings forth truth every time, the voice of God speaking? And in this particular story, the voice itself sets out the criteria to answer the test. When the impossible is accomplished, and you have freed your people from slavery and bring them here where you first encounter this voice, it will be an indication that it was God who spoke to you. Which is probably not too comforting for you, but start out you must, because you simply cannot know if the voice was God until you see for yourself if what the voice spoke was true. Now what makes this voice the voice of God rather than simply a part of you that are particularly insightful, wise, and truthful is that this voice is leading you to do what you deem to be clearly impossible. And that means if what is impossible does not happen, if things far beyond what you expect or imagine does not happen, the voice was not speaking the truth. And it is only here that we can even begin to talk about miracles. Miracles in the Bible has twofold meaning. First is that it is an event that brings us to marvel, and second is that it is a sign. What is it a sign of? Well, that the voice that you are following is telling you the truth, that it is the voice of God and not just your own thoughts or imagination. What is absent is the question of whether miracles somehow violate natural laws. See, what happened was that in the modern times, we began to tinker with the idea of God so that God became a particular entity rather than reality as a whole that fit into our changing imagination of what the world was like. The analogy that was used was this, the universe and everything in it is a machine, so God was the architect or the engineer. That meant that the universe and everything in it did their own thing once God set it in motion. God as an entity outside it can either watch or interfere with it. So whenever, if ever, God does anything, it is an interference. It goes against what happens in nature on its own, violating its laws. That is how we often understand the Christian view that God intervenes. But if the more apt analogy is God as the author of the story, the story being everything that ever happens, 
God never interferes anywhere because every event is equally God's, whether we can explain it as natural or not. Which is why the term intervention is misleading. God does not intervene in the sense that God interferes. Rather, it means that God responds. Miracles happen in response to our conversation with the voice of God. It is a sign and indication that it is God we are speaking to. Here is an interesting scenario. A study at the National Center for Atmospheric Research in the U.S., which was published in the journal PLOS One in 2010, simulated the story of the splitting of the sea in the book of Exodus. The study wasn't trying to prove the Bible. It was just applying fluid dynamics to an interesting case study. And it found that a natural phenomenon known as wind set down, in fact, a gale-force east wind that's described in the biblical story of Exodus, would cause the water in the eastern Nile Delta region to part into walls a few meters high, making a land path through the waters, at least according to the simulations that follow the laws of physics. Now the question is, is this a miracle? If we think miracle is God interfering with nature, then it is not a miracle. But in the proper Christian biblical definition, splitting of the sea is not God interfering with nature. It is God responding to Moses and the Israelites. In the story, Moses and the Israelites are trapped between the waters and the approaching Egyptian army, and they cried out to God. After all, if the Egyptian army caught them and killed them all, the voice that had been speaking to Moses would not have been a voice that spoke the truth. It would not have been the voice of God. And when the sea parted, rescuing the Israelites, it was a sign that what the voice spoke was the truth. But this raises a very important point. The primary characteristic of God speaking to you is truth. Miracles are actually secondary. What is important is what the voice of God said will happen does indeed happen, that the voice was true. If what the voice said requires an event beyond human imagination, then a miracle is needed. God told Abraham, for example, that a son will be born to him and his wife long after their childbearing age. Now, if they did not miraculously conceive and have a son, that voice would have been a lie and it would not have been God's. But not everything that the voice of God says to us requires such an event. If the voice is telling you what you should already genuinely know to be true, and you refuse to believe and ask for a miracle, then the voice can respond with the words that Jesus himself said when religious leaders asked him for a miracle. A wicked and perverse generation keeps asking for a sign. Because such people should already know what is true and good. They just don't want to acknowledge it. They want an excuse to dismiss it. They are not seeking the voice of truth. They are in fact parasitical to those who want to hear God speak. And that opens the door to the next episode, How a Nightmare Plagues Every Dream of God's Kingdom. Thank you for listening, and if you enjoy this content and want to hear more, please subscribe, follow, and share. Until then, I will be waiting here.